0: Give the gift of liberty this holiday season by becoming a Cato sponsor. On behalf of a friend or loved one, visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And if you support our work with $1,000 or more, I'll gladly give you or your designee a shout out on the Cato Daily Podcast. Help us advance the values of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. By becoming a Cato podcast sponsor. The website, again, is cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And thank you. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December twenty 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. How has this president changed comedy? Has it gotten more lazy? Or is it just too Herculean a task to be smart and poking fun at someone who at times appears to be a caricature of himself? Andrew Heaton is a comedian and host of the "Something's Off" podcast. We spoke last week. I can remember in the Obama years, uh, Saturday Night Live had several really brilliant cold opens that poked fun at uh, Democrats, and you you would think, well, you know that that's it's good for this you know fairly left wing uh, comedy show to to b- make fun of Democrats. Joe Biden was. Portrayed as this really outlandish, Jason Sudeikis was was Joe Biden, and Obama leaves the White House, so it's Biden time, according to him, and uh, he he makes all these outlandish promises. Uh, another cold open: Barack Obama goes to China, and uh, through an interpreter, uh, the the president of China is uh, insulting Barack Obama, like screaming at him, but the interpreter is trying to emote in the same way that the uh, that the speaker was, and I and I thought a lot of those are super creative and and uh, very funny. They of course you know take digs at Republicans all the time, but in the Trump era, it seems like, and and maybe this is more broadly true or less broadly true. You can tell me. It seems like it's so easy a target and also so difficult a target at the same yeah. time because Donald Trump sort of invites a lot of jokes at his expense and and I want to know from you and your your perspective what has what has happened to comedy
1: well there's there's two things see I, I think it's actually much harder uh, both in the sense that the climate has changed and in the actual sense of making things funny. So in, in comedy, uh, like like you you've probably read The Onion and look at The Onion, uh, which is a great satirical publication, or remains so during the Trump years. You, when you look at that, uh, exaggeration is a really key facet of humor. And and uh, it's difficult to do that with Donald Trump. If, uh, if Donald Trump kicks off the morning by saying, you know, I'm going to— hit golf balls at protesters from a battleship, and then I'm going to hang Rosie O'Donnell from a tree. And that, like that's his promise at the beginning of the day, like, like 7 a.m., I will hang Rosie O'Donnell. Where do I go from there? It's very difficult for me to go, but how do I make this crazy? How do I make this wacky? Right.
0: The Onion, for example, uh, in portraying uh, Eric Trump and Donald Trump Jr., they, you know with with Joe Biden they played him Joe as, Biden
1: was a sort of low-level Florida criminal
0: Joe Joe Biden was like He's always a, stealing a, copper a redneck with a Trans Am right. who yeah. wore like jean shorts and he was, was afraid was, legalized weed would he cut was, into his business he got a lifetime ban from Dave and Busters yeah. um well they, they, but they, with, they, with the the young Trump, one's good, with the they... Trump with the Trump boys uh, the the sons of, of Donald Trump the elder sons of Donald Trump they're portrayed sort of as uh, uh, it's, I wanna, it's kind I wanna of a say,
1: wannabe Nancy Drew type thing. So sort
0: some, of a, I'm going to say Hardy Boys. Yeah, Hardy Boys. But with, yeah. with like uh, malice yes. built in. Like the, they're the, trying they're, – but they're also bumbling in a Keystone Cops sort of way. The Onion is fantastic and the corollary
1: to it, which I think is also telling of where humor should be going right now, is they've also got Clickhole, which is making fun of clickbait and everything like that. But it tends to have a much heavier dose of absurdity to it, which you're going to see rise in comedy over here in the next few years. I think right now we're kind of – Humor does tend to be cyclical, and we're we're about at the Watergate moment where everybody is just angry and mad and cynical, and you're going to see me, Steve Martin, kind of rise from those ashes yeah. using absurdity. Because I,
0: re- yeah, I remember Steve Martin saying that at sort of at the end of Watergate, just as he was beginning in comedy, he decided consciously, mm-hmm. "I'm going to be silly."
1: Yeah, and and I th- I think that that will ultimately do well, and I think that that would do well. The, the weird thing right now is that we've kind of. Uh, as a people, we've all agreed that Donald Trump is our assignment editor. He gets to deter- determine the, the, the news cycle every day. And uh, when I when I listen to uh, these late night talk shows, which have very talented people working on them, uh, they do tend to be just uh, a variation of Trump is a moron. Now, I agree he is a moron. Uh, however, I've reached this conclusion several years ago, and you're not telling me anything new with that same joke over and over again. I, I think that you'll begin to see that uh, kind of Coming into absurdity uh, is, is the next logical step. And I think that there would be an appetite for it if people were to to do that. On, on my podcast uh, that I'm doing, Something's Off with Andrew Heaton, I'm, I'm lending much more towards the absurdity than I am towards just kind of raking people that I'm mad about through the coals. I don't find that as funny. It kind of exhausts me.
0: Well, I saw a, a clip that uh, your friend and mine, Lou Perez, put out, which was basically this uh, – it's a promo for a stand-up special for a comedian who was so brave – in taking on Donald Trump, yeah. and and that and that's that seems to me like the 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 easiest and laziest thing to do, but there ought to be, and and some outlets have have proven that it's possible to uh, make fun of a president that is you know highly polarizing.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, there are ways to do it. There there's certainly ways to be funny. There's certainly ways to make fun of Donald Trump. I would say in general, if you're starting out in comedy at home, don't make any Trump hair jokes. Those were, were really mined into, into oblivion in the 80s. Uh, any, any communities that are built around uh, Donald Trump hair jokes have really gone downhill. There's a big opioid problem with comedians uh, trying to make fun of Donald Trump's hair. Uh, there, there are ways to do it, but, but I, I think in general they tend to be either lazy or the people that are engaging in them are so, so gripped by tribalism. That it that they're, they're just wanting to communicate, I hate this thing. And it's like, OK. But that's not necessarily funny. You need to make it amusing.
0: What is the uh, relationship between the fact that like Stephen Colbert, for example, has made a, his bread and butter sort of a ripping on uh, Donald Trump? What do you make of the fact that, well, he's got two jobs really in terms of audiences that he has to please. One is the studio audience that is in New York who or people from out of outside of New York who want to go see the Stephen Colbert show mm-hmm. and the people who are watching or he hopes are watching across the United States I because it seems like there yeah. it seems like uh, the New York audience is very different from a couple of people sitting at home somewhere in America That's it's true. a very yeah. different audience
1: the, the, the New York audience very clearly if you if you listen to it the New York audience is uh very enamored with uh clapping and applause. Uh, and you can you can go for both. So, something that The Daily Show used to do, it might still do. I, I, I don't mean this as a slight to The Daily Show, but a few years ago when they were codifying their practices, they had a rule that if the joke was intended to elicit applause, you would scrap it. That was not the purpose of the joke. The joke was to elicit humor. Uh, I think that that's something Colbert is struggling with. And I don't know that he's really trying to straddle that fence. I think he's pretty much gone towards he's going to you know, go center, left, left. I think people that aren't super interested in politics or are Trump fans are probably watching Jimmy Fallon, who tends to be a lot more apolitical uh, and less of a bite. Uh, I I think you can be political. I think that's fine. I mean, I am a political satirist, so I I don't think it's necessarily bad to go into politics. But I I do do think you have to be imaginative in the way you do it. I, I would say it would also help if you can hold back the anger and bile that you experience. I don't think that that really is feeding anything particularly amusing right now. It's just... It's just making everybody angry.
0: Uh, You know, reading The Onion years ago, I remember uh, one of the stories they had was uh, Barack Obama it urges Democrats at the Democratic National Convention to join him in creating a thousand years of darkness, <laughs> and uh, the people were writhing around and you know yeah. having orgies on the floor. The DNC and it was basically a sort of a fever dream yeah. of conservative. They're portraying mm-hmm. what a certain segment of conservatives or Republicans would view as well. This is what he really wants, mm-hmm. and. I don't know how to it, it, it seems like a really vexing problem for comedians to do that with somebody who honestly does have these, these very polarizing, yeah. stark opinions that, you know, at first blush often seem to be informed by his gut rather yeah. than. Evidence. We we are
1: we are having to deal with the PT Barnum of American politics, and uh, for for good and for ill, that entails a, a high degree of showmanship that I do not need to levy. Uh, on my, you know, I, what I do on my shows, I really just don't deal with Trump that much, and it's not because. Well, first, as I said earlier, I really I resent having him as my assignment editor, and I, and I I won't allow my day to be dictated by Donald Trump. I won't allow my emotions to be dictated by Donald Trump. I I really for, this year for Christmas, I should get all of my progressive friends some Seneca. And just be like, please read stoicism. I was about to say that. You will yeah. feel better, I promise you. Just read a little bit of this. Uh, so I tend to not deal with Donald Trump that much. Uh, and uh, when I do, it's – I don't know. I, I think the people around him are a lot more fun to play with. Like I'll probably do a, um, a sketch on my, my podcast, if not this week, uh, come the new year, where I've, I've written out this entire itinerary of it's just a day in the life of Mike Pence. And every eight and a half minutes, he's checking to see if the president's dead. Uh, and that I think you can kind of develop kind of an onion esque character with. It's a little bit harder to do with Trump just because he's so uh, he's so massive in terms of his uh, cultural weight that I don't know that it's I, I don't I just I don't find him fun to deal with. But I do think there's tons. of – I mean, you brought up the onion a moment ago. I think South Park's also done a wonderful job. Uh, anything that takes itself very seriously is always a target for humor. Anything that is condescending and veers towards being. Um, Kind of pompous is a wonderful target for humor. South Park's great at that, and and South Park is, I think, kind of anarchic in that capacity because it doesn't have a political party that's home base. It just wants to take a whack at anybody that's on top of a soapbox. And the Onion, which which clearly has a left leaning bias, I think is nonetheless uh, magnificent in being able to tackle that kind of stuff and and not come off as being highly hacky and partisan. I, I I think it it is a it is a shame that the Onion has not had a Pulitzer. And I think did Andy Borowitz get one? If he did, that should be
0: stripped from him. He should be flogged in the
1: streets, to be pulled from him, and given to the onion. Is
0: you know, you're talking about tribalism, and uh, it strikes me that there is a pretty large audience that uh, you know you want to be catered to as an audience, uh, and yet comedy is surprise in a lot of ways, Mm
1: -hmm. and it's one of the
0: one of the ingredients. And it, it, it it all, but it also seems that there is an audience for. I'm not actually here for the comedy. I'm here for the two minutes hate.
1: Yes, uh, there's, there's definitely a – you've seen this last few years and I, I think that comedy has suffered terribly for it. There are a lot of people that are going to have their opinions affirmed to them and, uh, and they're, they're going to uh, kind of is, – is, there's probably a German word for angry laughter, like, like, like chortleslausen or something where you're just ah, – <laughs> and you're, you're mad and angry. That's a thing. Uh, that said, though, I think that people are more exhausted than folks realize. I think that the the edges of political discourse in America, the loud people at the edges are shouting everybody else down. I think there's a lot of people that – I don't necessarily want to call them centrists or moderates, but I think there's a lot more nuanced people than we're generally, generally given credit for that are not – tub-thumping Republicans or tub-thumping Democrats, and there's uh, there's a, a space um, that you could go there. So the chubba-wumpas. The chubba-wumpas. That is that is the technical term. I'll, I'll add to this because you brought up tribalism a moment ago. One of the things that I'm continually surprised by, and I shouldn't be at this point, but I'm continually surprised by as a comedian is just how deep-set tribalism is in the human psyche. Uh, going into stand-up, and I've, I've been doing stand-up maybe eight, nine years now, uh, I, I knew going into stand-up that everybody – Has a deep reaction to death and sex because even a monk uh, has some primordial fear of sex or death, one of the two. Uh, But probably has some thoughts on it, right? And most people, if you're not a monk and you're not completely fine with dying, you're a little bit worried about dying. You're you're a little bit you know there's there's a little bit of tension around sex. So if you can develop a good joke involving mortality or reproduction, if you if you craft it well, it'll resonate. What I did not anticipate was that tribalism is even more intense than those two very intense human emotions are. Uh, that and, and the only time I think I've ever really angered an audience, seriously angered them, is when I start kind of poking at the edges of that. Um, there's, um, I, I, I won't even do my version because I forgot it, but but Jerry Seinfeld has a, a wonderful bit about, you know, why, why are you rooting for this particular team? Like none of the people are from your town. The owner's not from your town. Are you rooting for the jerseys? When I do those kind of jokes, it pisses people off. And, uh, and they really get mad because people love being a part of a team and they want to hate this other team and if you start to go well why like what's the like what are the boundaries of your team what unites you other than hating that team they do not like that
0: Andrew Heaton is host of the Something's Off with Andrew Heaton podcast the last-minute gift for the person who has everything? Clearly, it is a donation in the name of a friend or loved one to the Cato Institute. Discover the benefits of becoming a Cato sponsor by visiting cato.org podcastsponsor podcast sponsor and give the gift of liberty this holiday season.